On the record flips to the B side. Good morning. I'm Tamara Keith, and you're listening to B-Side. The weather's getting warmer, spring flowers are in full bloom, and on this month's show, we're taking a look at love. So snuggle up with that special someone, turn up the volume on your radio, and stay tuned as On the Record flips to the B-Side. On today's show, we're dialing up love. Telephone psychics, voicemail dating services, even a dial-up dump line. It seems there are countless ways to manage your love life remotely. Is your lover being faithful? Or has he been messing around behind your back thinking that you'll never find out? Maybe he's even been with your best friend. Believe me, that happens, and it happens a lot. If you have questions about your lover or your love life, we have the answers you need. Hi, I'm Mother Love. Over the years, I think I've seen it all, from real love to lost love, from true soulmates to unfaithful two-timers. And for just $3.95 a minute, Mother Love and her team of specially trained telephone love psychics can help you, too. But when we called up local psychic Madam Davis, she said she wasn't buying it. I've been approached by those kind of people. I, I don't really believe in it. You know, where they want me to work for them to do the, the psychic. But I, I don't want I've been doing readings in my home for close to 30 years now. And, I've, you know, I've, I've been very happy the way I've been and everything. So I don't want to make any changes. But psychic ability is of all two people in one room and getting the psychic ability of it. And I mean, over the phone. How much energy can you get? Psychic energy abounds at Madam Davis's Hayward home, where she does psychic, palm, and tarot card readings. She says some people ask about money, but most questions are related to love. Well, they usually want to know if their uh, partner is being faithful to them, or if this person is if they're compatible with this person, or if it's a good marriage with this person. Different things. And what do you usually discover? Oh well. Some is good, some is bad. <laughs> some I feel that won't last. Some, you know what I mean, partners usually, you know what I mean, have another woman in their life or, or, or if it's a, a woman to have another man in their life. And if someone is cheating, how do you break it to them? Well, I usually just tell them, you know what I mean, there's influence of another woman around them or I see that, you're, you know, your partner has seen another woman, there's influence of another woman that he's seen around him or something and, you know, you need to make this relationship stronger. So I try, try to kind of, you know go around the bot and try to help them in a different direction. Madam Davis says she's played a part in countless happily ever after stories. But a fairy tale ending isn't something that any of the players in our next story would have predicted. Through a few chance twists of fate, we bring you the story of Chris and Caitlin. It all starts at Wesleyan College in Connecticut sometime in the late 1990s. My name is Chris Gaither. I live in San Francisco, 26 years old. I'm a writer for the New York Times cover business. My name is Caitlin Lang and I'm 24 years old and I live in San Francisco. I'm a graphic designer, web designer. So I was a junior when Caitlin started at Wesleyan and I had just seen her around school and I thought she was 
probably the most beautiful person that I've ever seen in real life. And I'd never gotten a chance to, uh, to talk to her. I had never seen Chris before, although I figured out later that he had been dating one of my really good friends. My friend Alex and I were driving back from uh, spring break our senior year. It was in March. And you know we t started talking about regrets and how we didn't want to graduate with any regrets. We each talked about you know sort of the one person that we had seen around school who we wanted to talk to but never got a chance to. And so my friend Alex had this uh, a woman in mind, and I had Caitlin in mind. Um, and we agreed that we were going to uh, pursue uh, some sort of interaction with those women just to see what would happen. So I came back from spring break, and I um, had a little mixtape left in my campus mailbox. And it had a note in it, and I think it just said, from an admirer, I hope you enjoy this tape, or something like that. So I brought it over to my friend's dorm room, and we listened to it, and it was kind of like slow jams, 1990-whatever-seven. <laughs> it was really funny, cheesy. And, um, you know, Michael Jackson, I forget who all was on there, Maxwell. And not really my type of music, it was hilarious. So then the next day, I uh, put a little bottle of, uh, of bubbles, you know, like blowing bubbles, into her mailbox, and I wrote something a little bit longer and signed it just with my first name. I remember it being one of those, you know, your beauty is like the summer's day. I, you know, I don't know what it said, but it was along those lines, and it was just really bad. And so then, and it was signed, Chris, and I didn't know a Chris, and, um, and then I really didn't care. On the final day, I just left her a note saying, would you like to get coffee sometime? And I signed it, uh, my full name. And then I realized that it was my friend's old boyfriend. And so then it just really wasn't going to happen. And I also figured out then that he was a senior. And I thought, oh, God, what a jerk. He's trying to get his last kicks before he graduates. Who is this guy? You know, there's just no way I'm going to respond. So I just started waiting and waiting and didn't hear anything back from her. So finally, after about a week or so of pure agony, I finally just gave up and I said, you know what? This is not going to work out. My friend Alex and I decided that we were just going to celebrate our attempt at doing away with all of our regrets. And so we decided we we're going to go out and get sushi. And we sat down, toasted our, uh, our attempts, and then suddenly I choked on my sushi and said, Alex, she just showed up. So uh, we started plotting together and decided to, to send her a Coke. It was cute and original, and um, I had the waitress point out who he was. So I was, I was a little more intrigued, but I still wasn't that interested, especially since he was a senior. The Coke arrives at her table, um, which was actually on the other side of the restaurant behind a partition. And a couple minutes later, I see these three heads pop up uh, from the other side of the partition. They all uh, looked at us and then turn around, you know, pop down behind the partition. And I was sure that they would come over and introduce themselves and say, hey, thanks a lot. But they left. After that, I went to a party and this guy approached me who was one of Chris's fraternity brothers, who I really didn't like. And he was total sleazeball. And he asked me why I wasn't responding to Chris. And I told him why. And he said, well, you know, I would do something like that. But Chris is a really stand-up guy and he would never do something like that. And he's you know, really genuine here, and you should at least respond. So I was like, okay, I'll write him a letter to the campus mail. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
said something along the lines of, thanks for your note and for the nice mixtape and the bubbles. Actually, right now I sort of have a, a boyfriend, but you know, I'd, I'd love to meet you sometime, so next time you see me, say hi. I just totally struck out, but at least I didn't have any regrets. And then maybe a couple days after that, we were both in the campus center. I went to go get a Coke for myself, and on the way back from the soda fountain, I literally turned the corner and ran right into her. And he just stood there, you know, his eyes wide open, and I stuck out my hand, I think, and introduced myself. And I looked at her and had absolutely nothing to say. It was so awkward, we didn't know what to say to each other, so out of nowhere, I don't know, what possessed me, I asked him to coffee. And, you know, suddenly all the birds started singing and the sun came out and, you know, it was the greatest day of my life and I said, yeah, I definitely do. So um, we made a date to get coffee a couple days later. And I ran home to my friend and I said, I just did the stupidest thing. I asked this jerk out to coffee. I don't know what I was thinking. It was like somebody else speaking through me. I don't know. How do I get out of it? I don't want, I don't know what to do. But I ended up going. And we met at the campus center. And we had a great time. Totally hit it off. Turns out that we have the same favorite movie in the world, which is Delicatessen, this French film. And another film by the same director was playing that weekend. So we made a second date. And uh, now we're married. So I guess it turned out okay. Yeah. Three years later. This song was played at Chris and Caitlin's wedding last summer in San Francisco. Their story was produced by Mia Lobel. Okay, now that all that mushy, happy stuff is out of the way, for a little balance, we turn to a group of high schoolers who aren't exactly under Cupid's spell. Meet Maybeck High School sophomores Caleb Stilwell-Kinney, Charlotte Wing, Sarah Richardson, and Jessica Arndt. Love, to many people, is good. They want to live every second together. They cry when they leave each other's arms and are eternally happy when they meet again. But personally, I hate love. These days, it's all Disney Channel love. It's ruining life for me. Now relationships are so cheesy, I quote Adam Sandler, love stinks. Love sucks. It's the most god-awful, irrational feeling, and I hate it. It leads to nothing but heartache, and who needs that? Granted, that may sound a bit bitter, but bear with me because I have a reason. All three of my boyfriends broke up with me in the three weeks before Valentine's Day. I don't know if their brains undergo some chemical malfunction rendering them incapable of maintaining human emotional attachments, or if I just have the worst love karma in the known universe, but somehow everything cosmic conspires to end my relationships on, or near, the most romantic day of the year. Perfect. Love is a disease that only causes problems. I despise love and everything associated with it. Valentine's Day makes me sick. I don't get a day off of school for it, so therefore I don't get any benefits from it. Love is like the happiest and best thing, because when you're in love, you're happy about everything. When you hug the person you love, nothing else matters. When you're with the person you love, it's like you don't need anything or anyone else. And when you're not with the person you love, all you can think about is them and being with them. The person you're in love with seems to complete you. You don't worry about anything except being with them and loving them. That's it. That's what I'm
always as easy as just doing it, just falling in love. For many of us, finding Mr. or Mrs. Wright can be pretty tough, but for some, the solution is just seven digits away. Look in the yellow pages under Dating Service, and there are countless companies ready to assist. B-Side dialed up one service where lonely hearts leave personal greetings in hopes of hooking up. I'm really kind, I'm really funny, and I'm very attractive, so... If this is what you're looking for, hit me up. See ya. Have a beautiful day. I'm a 20-year-old female just looking for dating, fun, something like that. Um, I'm a voluptuous brunette. And give me a call. See what happens. 195 pounds, wear a size 17 shoe, dress nice, neat in appearance and all that. So basically, if you like what you hear, I'm on here to converse, maybe ultimately meet somebody new and interested, spend a little time with. These folks are definitely masters of self-promotion. Beside guest commentator Noam Birnbaum is a master of something else, self-love. I'll admit it, I masturbate. I've been masturbating so long, it's become practically secondhand, especially when I switch. But recently, this great American pastime started getting boring, so I thought I'd jumpstart my stick shift with a sex toy. I'd heard all sorts of plugs for vibrators, mostly from my female friends, and I wanted to try one on for size. But since their inception, vibrators were made for women. The first one was patented in 1869 as a medical treatment for what was then called female hysteria, but which we might today describe simply as sexual desire. But I'm an equal opportunity employer, so rather than sulk around adult bookstores in sunglasses and a trench coat, I decided to go straight to the authority, the Good Vibration Store in Berkeley. Maybe you never thought a perfect stranger could help you with your sex life, unless you're into that kind of thing. But at Good Vibrations, a worker-owned cooperative, the salespeople were more than eager to help me get a handle on myself. My name's Dee Dee, and I'm a sex educator and sales associate. Dee Dee and the other staff members at Good Vibes don't just sell toys. They also promote sexual information and positiveness. The shelves are filled with books and videos and all sorts of other things. These are the remote control panties. And basically, these are vibrators that you can wear underneath your clothing. Even better, the remote control will turn on not just your panties, but those of everyone in the room. But since panties just don't give me the support I need, I asked to see something else. Dee Dee showed me a Japanese vibrator that was shaped like a penis, with a smiley face engraved on the tip. Maybe that's why it's called the head. This particular vibrator also had an attachment that didn't look like it occurred naturally in anybody's pants. The clitoral stimulator is shaped like a bunny. Clitoral stimulator? I've always wished I could use one of those, but I think it would only end up tickling my belly button. How about some equipment for my personal tool? I was starting to feel like I had gone to Macy's looking for sportswear and stumbled into ladies' intimates. Dee Dee showed me the boy toys, such as penis pumps and vibrating cock rings, but the women's section definitely had them beat, especially for vibrators. Was there something wrong with me for wanting to get buzzed? Didi's co-worker, Blue, explained that pleasure comes in all shapes and sizes. I think the important thing to think about is that toys are not really gender-specific or sex-specific. Like, 
pretty much anyone, if they like vibration, can find a place to vibrate on their body. Like if they have nerve endings that are functional and working and like they enjoy vibration, like everyone's got erogenous zones and vibration's good for everyone. So I guess it doesn't matter what the other girls go for, which reminds me why I like masturbation so much. I can do it my way. I can scream out anyone's name I want. Usually I use my own. So I went home with my new boy toy and turned myself on by turning it on. Oh, and in case you're wondering which one I got, I'll just say that I don't need a smile on my vibrator to have one on my face. Buzzing off for B-Side, I'm Noam Birnbaum. Listening to KALX 90.7 FM. Stick around as On the Record flips to the B side. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game. It's easy. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes the baby and the baby carriage. Or at least that's what it used to be. Now the order of things isn't as clearly defined, and the roles of each partner in a relationship aren't as clear either. B-side crew member Claudine Zapp just got engaged after a nearly decade-long courtship. She recently sat down with her friend Lisa Maya Jervis, who is an expert on getting hitched. Hi, Lisa. Hi, Claudine. So we are here today in your kitchen talking about marriage and what it means for 20-somethings and 30-somethings in this day and age. And you know a little something about that. A little something. Um, well, I did get married in my mid-20s, which was weird. I never thought I would be married that early. I was 26. Um, and I also put together an anthology called Young Wives Tales, which is not only about married people. It's just young feminists writing on relationships and egalitarian relationships and kind of how to forge a relationship that is in line with your feminist ideals, basically. For some of these people who decided that they did want to be married, and of course people have been getting married for generations, (laughs) whenever, um, and have done it just fine, but there's more, um, from some of the essays, there's more angst about doing it. Yes. Well, I think there's definitely a lot of anxiety about getting married I mean, feminists, marriage is such a feminist kind of lightning rod for controversy and a a hot button issue and a flashpoint and all those, you know, metaphors that we could talk about. I think that some feminists see getting married as an embrace of this kind of retrograde ethos. I completely disagree with that. Feminists really need to keep kind of moving marriage forward and because now that we've had the legal reforms, like, you know, wives can have their own credit cards, we really need to, I think, be very public about the ways in which we make our individual relationships and marriages feminist and egalitarian. And um, so I think that for those of us who do choose to get married, it's our responsibility to be very public about the ways in which our marriages are not traditional funny that you should bring that up because it seems like we're really surrounded by images that are quite traditional and haven't left the sort of 50s June Cleaver image 
behind at all. And it's sort of divorced, if you will, mm-hmm. <laughs> from, from, from the reality of what a lot of people do experience. I mean, well, everyone knows that sitcoms and movies are bunk, you know, and that they're not realistic. And I, right. So I think that it just makes everyone feel like they're a little weird, you know, but people know the right way that they need to do things. I mean, some people know that they can't live with the person they love and, you know, and living apart can be a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, <laughs> and I do I do live with my partner, but um, we, as I say all the time and not kidding, I mean, it's funny, but not joking that it's true that, you know, for particularly for us, like the secret to a great relationship is plenty of time apart and plenty of space when we're, you know, not apart. One thing I'm wondering is um, that you are obviously very unapologetically a feminist and I'm wondering if you've, if you've had to defend the fact, I mean, you're obviously defending the fact that people do not have to get married and that you're not trying to push it on anyone. But do you ever get the other way where people are very shocked that you have gotten married because they don't think of feminism and marriage in the same sentence? Yes, definitely. And I'm still, I really think that, yes, marriage has this, this really negative history for feminists, but if we abandon it, because of that, then we're just giving in to that history, you know? And marriage now, it's in our, it's within our power to change things. So we should change things. That was Claudine Zapp speaking with Lisa Maya Jervis, who edited the anthology Young Wives Tales. When I say wife, it's cause I can't find another word. For the way we be, but wife sounds like your mortgage. Wife sounds like laundry when I say wife. It's cause I can't find another word for the way we are. But wife sounds like your mortgage and sounds like a family car. When it comes to leaving a message on one of those telephone dating hotlines, there are many different approaches. There's the overconfident, the superfly, and then there are the people who let their humanity show, who lay it all on the line and tell the truth. Um, I'm real reluctant to leave a message, but hey, I guess it's another avenue of meeting people. Um, my motive is to come across new and different individuals, um, possibly make new friends. Um, I don't socialize slash socialize a whole lot. And if you're in the big leagues, holla. And I'm not just talking about sexually. Basically, I'm just looking for somebody to hook up with, to have some fun on the weekends. Um, I got two little boys, so starting with that, I'm being honest. And uh, if you don't mind, hit me up. I'm a Pisces. I'm six feet tall. I'm, I'm full-figured. I have one dimple, hazel eyes, short, reddish, curly, wild hair, a pretty smile, full lips, yada, yada. The important thing is I just got out of a relationship, a really emotional one. I, I was really in love, um, seriously, a long one, too. So I'm not looking for anything serious. I'm just looking for male friends. This is my first time on the line, and um, it's about 6 a.m., on Saturday morning, my alarm clock went off early this morning, and I'm having a really hard time falling back asleep. 
I'm sick of the bar scene. I'm sick of the, uh, you know, all that bar hopping stuff. I just want to be someone that I can kick it with and have some fun with. So if that's you, uh, hit me up and we'll talk about it. If the telephone love line thing doesn't work for you and you're looking for love in a hurry, you might want to try speed dating. Essayist Gavin Tachibana has a review. Basically, you pay 25 bucks and you meet 10 single women who are about the same age and in the same situation. Very lonely. The way it works is, you all get together in a meeting hall. You sit in a circle, men on the outside, women on the inside, with everyone facing each other. You spend 10 minutes with each person, then the guys rotate. At the end of the night, you check off who you'd like to keep in touch with, and if there's a match, the organizer gives you the other person's phone number. The theory is, by getting to know so many people, you have a better shot at meeting that special someone. What happens is, you get rejected by more women more quickly than you normally would. But that's okay because it's speed dating. You just move on. Anyway, I don't even know if I want to meet that special someone. But I had to give it a try. I'm starting to feel the pressure. Some of my close friends are getting married. And yeah, Mom, I know. Hurry up and find a girlfriend. It's time to settle down. Maybe it would be nice to meet someone to share my life with. On the night I go, it's Asian American night. Because I am Asian American. They also have this for Jews and gays and lesbians. And some nights are for everyone. But the dynamic is the same for the most part. Here we are sitting in a circle. Everyone's got their clipboard ready to take notes. I've got my finest secondhand leather coat on. I thought the sport coat look might be too formal. I've got my name tag on. There's a number written above your name so women can copy it down if they like you and vice versa. My number was A16. The first girl I met seemed kind of nice. Kind of shy, had her arms crossed. She works as a physical therapist for elderly people. She wrote out a list of questions beforehand. Do you play any sports? What do you do on the weekend? Are you religious? I asked her, what do you do for fun? And she said she's so busy she has to schedule in her free time so she'll remember to stop working. Okay. The next woman said she works for a pharmaceutical company, preparing the formulas they test on the rats. Ew. Any hobbies, I asked. She said she collects stamps. All right. I did that when I was five. I asked if she had any international stamps. She said no. Now, I'm no big prize either, I know. But I've learned a few things about what not to say on the dating scene. For instance, I don't have a full-time job, even though I have a master's degree now. I just don't want a job. But don't ever tell a woman that you do not have a full-time job. You might as well stamp a big L on your forehead. Tell them you're retired, got out just before the dot-com downfall. And don't ask girls the same old questions the previous guy just asked. That's boring. Even the ugly girls hate when that happens. I didn't make any matches that night. Ironically, the only person I keep in touch with is the guy I sat next to, because at least we had something in common. We're going to keep looking for women, playing the speed dating game, on our own terms. Are you good looking? Are you smart? Are you funny? Can you dance? No? You're out of here. Okay, maybe not that speedy. And I shouldn't be so judgmental. But I figure, the more women you meet, the better your chances of finding Miss Right. Right? For B-Side, I'm SpeedDater A16. Or you can call me Gavin Tachibana. For more information about the very eligible Gavin Tachibana and all of the members of the B-Side crew, check out our website at bside-radio.org. That's the letter B, the word side-radio.org. And finally this morning, the dark side of love. Rejection. Welcome to the New York City Rejection Line. 
Unfortunately, the person who gave you this number does not want to talk to you or speak to you again. We would like to take this opportunity to officially reject you. If you want to hear from our comfort specialist, press 1. If you want to hear a sad poem written by a kindred spirit, press 2. If you want to cling to the unrealistic hope that a relationship is still possible, press 3. The person who gave you this number was probably just joking around. <laughs> Later you'll laugh about this together, lying in bed as a couple, kissing, massaging, nuzzling ever so gently as you alternately spoon and mutually masturbate. The person who gave you this number obviously liked you on some level, or they never would have even bothered to take the time to talk to you. Maybe this is their way of saying, hey, you... I'm scared. I'm scared of committing to or even casually dating you. You've been listening to B-Side. Our crew this month is Dave Gilson, Mia Lobel, Lissa Mudd, and Claudine Zapp. Our theme music was composed by David Kaufman. B-Side will be back on May 15th with a show about memories. I'm your host and senior producer, Tamara Keith. Thanks for listening.